You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to the Tinderbox. We are the podcast for Matchsticks and Gasoline, the Calgary Flames website for SB Nation. Mark and Michael here this afternoon. Uh, We're going to start off not talking Flames hockey. We're going to jump right into the uh, Chicago Blackhawks uh, scandal investigation. Investigation is probably a better way to put it or term it, the Kyle Beach story. Um, We kind of touched on it a little bit uh, in our last podcast, but I think we definitely want to you know, address this, though we don't cover the Blackhawks. I think it's something that's hockey-wide that definitely should be discussed. And it was much easier, I think, with the two of us sitting down to talk about it as opposed to writing a 15,000-word article that's, you know, it's a lot to take in. Um, especially after reading the report, um, writing about it was just, it was too much, I think, to verbally get out onto um, a page to uh, get my feelings, at least, across. Um uh, if you have been living under a rock in the NHL, uh, maybe you haven't heard, but um, the Chicago Blackhawks uh, were investigated for a sexual assault and various other things involved with a then uh, video coach on their team in 2010, the year they won the Stanley Cup. Uh, that player has come out uh, publicly and spoken about it. It's Kyle Beach. Um, he was a what was called a black ace at that point for the Blackhawks during the playoffs, a minor league player that gets to come up and travel with the team, not on the same plane, but separately, like they flew commercial and stuff and stayed in different places. But anyway, point is they came up during the postseason just in case the Blackhawks got through all of the players on their roster and players were injured. Then these players would get to participate. I think there was like six of them that year. Anyway, point is um, beach was invited over to an apartment, uh, by a then video coach, Brad Aldrich. And he was, uh, his allegations are he was basically uh, sexually assaulted, uh, forced, had things forced on him. Um, it was, it's a very ugly account if you've read it. And point is he went to the Chicago Blackhawks to report this. And every, almost, I shouldn't say every, almost every line of communication or level in that organization failed him dramatically in this and the Blackhawks are sort of kind of paying the price uh Michael um I you look at the whole thing the Blackhawks were fined two million dollars whoop-de-doo right I mean is that really it's it's a joke right it's a week of their payroll in a regular season like it's really nothing right and you look at the, the people that were involved with it I mean this went like if you read the 107 pages in the actual report it was like it got handed to one person okay yeah we should talk to this but you know what i'm gonna hand it to this person so they can deal with it oh yeah no this should definitely go like it just kept going down the line and down the line and down the line to the point where it's at one point i don't know if it was shovel day off or somebody else in the organization said should we involve hr in this like, yeah, you should involve human resources. That's why human resources is there, right? Yeah, that, no? that's their job. That's their, their resources for people when there's issues and things like this happening. And, and the, Aldrich, not only Aldrich, not only 
like completely destroyed Kyle Beach. Like he like like ruined him for years. And you know, I, I'm sure this is something he never ever ever gets over. But he was also texting sexually explicit pictures of himself to other players. And then after this went through, and he was able to host the Stanley Cup for a day after they won, go to the parties after they won even though he had already been terminated by the Blackhawks at that point and gotten a severance package. He got a deal from the Blackhawks to leave, which is yeah, in no other world. Can you be charged with sexual assault? There'd be evidence that you actually took a picture of your genitals and sent it to a young man. Right. And go, all right, we're going to give you this. What's left of your salary. Plus he got his playoff and championship bonus. He got his name on the Stanley cup. He like, there's so much wrong in this whole situation. Anyway, the point is down the line, he eventually had assault charges brought against him too, from a 16 year old and a 14 year old on other teams. He coached at the university of Notre Dame. Like it's, uh, I'm just amazed at just the absolute top to bottom incompetence with the Chicago Blackhawks. Well, yeah, it just fundamentally starts with, not dealing with the one situation at the time there. And then, as you said, like if they'd taken any action besides just firing the guy and not dealing with the problem, you immediately avoid what happened with him with the, with the younger players in the high school. That's just, I I just don't know how you can sleep at night as a human being with that kind of stuff, even at the time, let alone now, like now I'm sure they're, I'm sure they're more like dealing with it more now than they ever even thought about it back then. And it's just so disgusting to see that, like you said, they they put the winning over dealing with something major like this. And frankly, if that was a team I cheer for, I I wouldn't be able to cheer for them after that. Like I I would just be done. Like with those people, it's just terrible entirely. A hundred percent. And Joel Quinville is in that report as like being like, well, we don't have time to deal with this. We, you know, it's going to disrupt the chemistry of the team. We're trying to win a Stanley Cup, and it's like, so this this player, this this person, not even a player, this is human mm-hmm. beings' feelings. And situation are irrelevant because of hockey and a trophy, you know, and sports is business. Sure. We all know that, but I'm sorry, this takes far more precedence over. And the fact that according to certain players on the Blackhawks team, the entire locker room knew that this had happened and nobody said anything. Uh, Patrick Kane has come out and said that, yeah, I found about it, you know, you know, the next, next training camp. So, you know, what could I have done? Well, what could you have done? You could have done something, you know, and Taves sort of kind of hovered around yeah. that. But then he's like praising everybody. Taves looks like an idiot coming out of this. Like, how do you say good things about any of these people that are involved in this? Yeah, now is not the time to say, even if you have good feeling or good opinions of people like Bowman, now is not the time to say it. That just looks so tone deaf from what they, what do they call him? Like uh captain leader or something like the, He's noted as like one of the, Oh, one of the best leaders in the league. Is he really one of the best leaders or is he a good leader? Because he doesn't bring things to light. He just keeps chugging forward, head down. Like it seems like everybody on that Chicago team did. And the people that will bring things up are called troublemakers in this sport, which is just ridiculous. Yeah. And I mean, hockey for a long time has had a standing problem with these types of things, especially down in juniors and minors. I mean, you look at all the stuff that Theo Fleury went through um, before he got up, you know, before he even got to the pros. And then, you know, a lot of his behaviors later on in life are attributed to what happened to him. Um, Hockey definitely has a huge problem with 
sexual assault, coaches taking advantage of young players where, you know, other leagues have their own problems. You know, the NFL has a massive domestic violence problem. Um, the NBA in the late seventies had huge drug and violence problems. So it's not just the NHL, but the NHL, it just seems can't, or hockey in general, I should say, can't seem to get out of its own way when it comes to things like this. They, you have a guy who's a video coach. Granted, he's a lower level coach on a coaching staff, right? But he mm -hmm. has the ear of these young guys because he knows he can talk to them. They're going to want to be, oh, you you have Coach Quinville's ear, and okay, so what should I do? You know, and he's giving them tips, and he's like, I can cut up your special clips. And these kids have been playing hockey since God knows how long, right? Their only dream, their goal is to make it to the NHL and play in the NHL. And the, you know, you beat you that close, you're right there on the doorstep to getting to the NHL, and you're going to trust this guy because he he's telling you things that you think are good for you in your career. And then all of a sudden, oh, you want these things? Well, here's what it's going to take to get these things. And you better not say anything to me. It's absolutely disgusting what happened there. And it's, it's, and it's also the position that these players are put in to travel with adults and go to bars with their video coaches and stuff like player and coach fraternization should not be happening at that level. No. Yeah. I don't think it's something that at least to the extent we saw this, like it was just, I just feel so much for him too, that like this was his first NHL, like really experience. He was a black ace for the first time, recent high first round pick. Like this is his first experience of playing in Chicago. He'd played a little bit in Rockford in the AHL team, but like, how do you even continue with like, just even from a hockey perspective, your career after that, when your first experience coming to the NHL is dealing with this. And that's something that he's never, even with the coach gone after that season, this is something that, just never is going to go away for him in life and with his career. Like, it's just so, it, like you said, disgusting. Yeah. It's just, you know, these, these kids put their trust in people and they get their trust betrayed. And it's just, it's not, it's, it's terrible. It's not fair. And if we want to segue that to what the league is doing with Chicago, um, I honestly think it's a joke. Like they, the Blackhawks as of now, really haven't faced any kind of repercussion for this. I mean, uh, Bowman's out. He's gone. That's fine. That's great. Uh, Quinville, you know, resigned last night. Um, I'm shocked that the Panthers even let him coach the day that all this that stuff got released. Ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, uh, great. Great. The Panthers are six and oh, good for you. Now you're seven and oh, but your coach also helped cover up a basic rape of a young man on your hockey, you know, on a hockey team. It's just bananas. For one to game too. Cause everyone saw what eventually ended up happening coming. Like you, they they do the right thing. They just tell them like even they just keep them out that one game. They look so much better. And now they're yeah. right in this all too. Is like what are you thinking? Yeah, and you know, and he had the yeah, I didn't do enough. I should have done more. And it's like when you read the report, it's like nobody cared. Like they really didn't. It was yeah. more about. I mean, I, I, not everybody. There are a few people in that report that actually were like, "Hey, this happened," and people were like, "Oh yeah, we have a look into it. We'll look into it." Mm -hmm. You know, well, the, the fact skills that it, coach is. The, one yeah. of the heroes in all this. Like, I have so much respect for him. Yeah, uh, Paul Vincent, the skating coach. Yeah. Correct, yes. He's one of the few people that actually went up and was like, hey, guys, this happened. And he kind of got the, yeah, 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 we'll deal with it. Don't worry about it. You know, and just to have that meeting and so many people not remembering that. Like, I'm sorry, if you had a meeting in an office with five people sitting around being, hey, one of our coaches uh, sexually assaulted a junior player in or a minor league player in his apartment. It was they were drinking. I think everybody would remember like the color tie they had on that day, what shoes they were wearing. It to me, that just seems crazy that everybody in that organization was like, ah, do we have it? Was I at the meeting? I don't remember much from that meeting. It's just to me, it's just it's crazy talk. 
Yeah, it's just one of those things too where when when they talk about the actual meeting, how it basically just came down to like like we said before, you we can't deal with it until we deal with like winning the Stanley Cup, like putting the wins ahead, all that. It just for me, it just speaks so much to hockey culture where it's pretty much from a young age, like you put your head down, you leave your then it's like you play for the crest on the front, not your name on the back. Like you're supposed to leave all your individual individuality at the door and you come in, you play for your team, you don't question anything, you just go and I think you just see how that almost results in situations like this where guys or players don't want to come out and talk about these things. For Kyle Beach, like this was just something like it destroyed his career so much he couldn't even really talk about it openly for all these years, even though all the players on his team knew no one really did anything at the time. Like I think it's just such a fundamental issue with the the sport itself, which is too bad because it is such a great sport when things are working the way they're supposed to work and people are having fun and doing the right thing. It's just we need more the, the sport top to bottom needs a culture reset where people are allowed to express themselves. And when issues like this happen, they feel like they shouldn't have to jeopardize their career to bring something like this up. 100%. And you, you know, and I applaud him for coming out and being the face, unfortunately for him being the face of the story, you know, he was known as uh, John Doe in the article um, in the uh, investigation. He didn't have a name or a face and he finally came out and gave interviews and, if you watch the interview, they're heart wrenching. You feel mm. for you feel so bad for him. You know, it's like I don't understand like how the organization let something like that happen, and then just just kind of brushed it off. Like, okay, yeah, well, it's not really that big of a deal. We'll deal with it later. I mean, it's a huge deal. It's a human being involved. Mm-hmm. You know, a young kid with an adult that he allegedly trusted, and like we were talking before, like the league so far. You know, Bowman's gone. I don't know how Kevin Sheveldayoff doesn't get anything. I don't understand how he's, you know, he's part of that chain of command there too, you know. And he, I, he I guess was in all the room, the... like exactly, you know, he could have been somebody that pushed more. Yeah, it's something yeah. like anything besides him. Like he had his meeting, then he released his statement, and it seems yeah. like that's all there's going to be. Unless we'll see if the Jets decide to do something on their own accord. They talk about how they're a family-driven organization, but we'll see. Like. That, that, well, you, you have somebody running your organization right now as your general manager who was not presiding over, but part of something that's clearly not a family-related or a pro-family issue uh, when he was with the Blackhawks. Now, Esther, punishment-wise for the league, like I don't even know like what kind of precedent there is for this, for a team covering up a massive thing like this. And I brought up the other day, uh, could could the NHL level a death penalty type scenario like the NCAA will do on a university for crimes way, way softer than what happened in Chicago. And I mean, I don't even know if it's possible. Like the NCAA death penalty thing is reduced to no scholarships, uh, no national TV games, no bowl games. And if you follow um, NCAA college football, bowl games are a huge moneymaker for Mm -hmm. a lot of these universities. So are national TV games. I mean, could the NHL dock the Blackhawks draft picks? Like, hey, you have no first round picks for whatever many years. Could they, besides the $2 million fine, be like, you know, you get no national TV games, no outdoor games, no heritage classic type things. Could they even pull a, you don't get playoffs, you're banned for, like, could they do that? I don't know. Yeah, it's such a hard discussion for the NHL to have because we know they they need to be punished, but it's one of those things where they, they kind of have to, in one sense, they might shrug their shoulders and be like, everybody's out of the organization now that was involved like how much can we punish the organization now for something they did before but at the same time it's kind of the same ownership group it's 
it's such a hard thing to find a precedent and set a precedent for because then you look at like when they punished the devil's three million dollars for a Kovalchuk contract which compared to this doesn't even seem like anything it's just or the coyotes for the draft picks last year for their working out of prospects which in my opinion to an nhl team the first round pick the coyotes lost is far more than two million dollars of value like it's just yeah it's one of those things where you have to set a precedent but like getting to setting that is probably going to be one of the more challenging things for the nhl to do if they decide to go that way and the Blackhawks could cry foul if they were punished for crimes, you know, that happened 11 years ago for people that aren't involved. But how many times do you find a major American university gets investigated seven years after the fact because paperwork finally mm-hmm. shows up and the coach that's there, the athletic director that's there, the players that are there weren't there seven years ago, but they still get punished because there has to be there has to be something done. There so needs to be I, something significant for because then if again, if this just kind of goes away with their $2 million fine and kind of that's it. People are fired. There's nothing to really stop it from happening again. There's, there's nothing for a team who there could be another team this year, next year, same position. We might have a chance to win the cup for the first time in a very long time. Same kind of situation happens or another criminal act happens and same thing. Just wait till after the playoffs. And that needs to be one of the messages is that this has to take precedent or over top of anything else that is happening with the team at that time. Yeah. No, agree. And I think one thing that I don't haven't seen it mentioned a lot is how much of Chicago being an original six team is going to factor into their punishment too. You know, I, I mean, they're a money making team when things are good. They they're a popular team. If this was a, I don't know, like the Coyotes or something, would we see the same kind of thing coming down on them? Like, or would we see harsher penalties? It's just. It it's the NHL still makes big business decisions at the end of the day with all this, which is just disgusting on its own right too. Like you see, um, I don't know if we're going to get into it. So, but like how this was also like the NHLPA was reached out to at the time this happened and nothing happened there either. Like it's just the NHL is not completely like off the hook with this either whatsoever. No. Cause there were things that happened outside of the Blackhawks organization to the league. Um, and basically Kyle Beach got railroaded. He got, he, Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a shame what happened to him. Uh, you feel for him, you support him, you know, you stand up for him, whatever you can do. And it's just like shame on shame on Chicago for how they and the league for how this whole thing got handled. And um, spotlight's big on Batman right now. You know, it's you know, he's had his meetings and, you know, Quenville did the right thing. I roll my eyes here of, you know, resigning after after the game. And then, you know. Uh, I'll, I'll give Winnipeg credit. They threw Shovel Day, Shovel Day off on a plane immediately and sent him to New York. They didn't wait to see what was going on. So they handled that. And he's apparently in the clear and he's okay to go back to Winnipeg and be the general manager of an NHL team. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. And, you know, Taves and Kane, you know, Duncan Keith, I don't, you know, it's just everything that's coming out from that team is just, it, it based on if you've read the report, it just seems like lie after lie after mm. lie after lie. And the buck just got passed on down the line because it's like, I don't want to handle this. I don't want to handle this. And when you run into two people who actually tried to do something, then people start. if you looked at it, like if you looked at um, Paul Vincent stuff, like where he's like, I immediately was going to handle this. And then you see people discrediting him being like, oh, no, I never talked to him about that. And it's like, so it's like one of the two people who actually tried to do something mm-hmm. now gets discredited in that report. It's just... You know, HR should have been involved from the beginning. HR should have immediately gone to the general manager, ownership, right to the league. But 
institutional failure, I think, across the board for the Chicago Blackhawks. I'm going to be really interested to see in maybe another five, six years once you see some of these other Blackhawks players like Taves, Kane, Keith, like once these guys are out of the NHL, if we see their story change at all, because as we already talked about, there's just so much wrong with this hockey culture where guys aren't going to step out and put themselves in the line of fire like that, even on an issue like this. Yeah, And that's one thing I think we'll have to watch long-term is if we get more information from them maybe once they finally retire. Because like two of the guys that came out, Brent Sopel and Nick Boynton, they were two guys who really, yeah. they didn't they didn't get say anything until their careers were done now. And I wonder if we'll see that with some of these other players as well. Yeah, which in the end doesn't help anybody in this situation because oh, nobody's, sure, yeah. nobody's being honest. And it's, you know, and then this talk of like, you know, should um, Aldrich have his name X'd out on the, the Stanley Cup? Because it has been, there is precedent. It has been done before. And um, I don't, I forget who it was. Somebody today said they've reached out to the NHL to approve it and see if that was possible. I think that's the owners of the Blackhawks reached out. They sent a letter asking. Yes, to correct. Today. Yeah, correct. Yes, I did see that. So, I mean, okay. okay I, mean, I mean, it doesn't help. Kyle Beach in this situation, but at least shows some accountability on, you know, the black. I mean, he still got his parade. He still got his ring. He still got. Yeah. I think the fact... it's better than not doing it, but it's so little when you compare it to everything else too, that it's just. Yeah. He, the fact that he got a playoff bonus, he got uh, a severance package. He got a ring. He got to be with the cup. He got to come back when they raised the banner into the arena. And then at one point, I guess he was waiting in the hallway to go down to like where I forget what they, they have a special tunnel. It's called like the, not the celebrity tunnel, but it's, you know, like where players go, media can go. And he went to go down there and people were like, well, no, no, you can't go there. You're not allowed there. I'm like, why is he even allowed back in the arena to be even yeah. near the people? You know, it's just the whole thing is disgusting. Why is he not um, in jail? Yeah, hundred percent. I know he's yeah. registered. He's, he had to register for the charges in, was it Michigan? Yeah. Where Michigan, he was yeah. Michigan believe, with the yeah. 16, apparently consent in Michigan at the time was 16. So the 16 year old was okay. But the 14 year old is what had him registered the whole, it's just, if honestly, the Blackhawks took care of it, it wouldn't be an issue. That's, that's the whole thing. It just keeps yeah. coming. And that's what, that's what really hurt. Cause you could see in the interview with Kyle beach that he was so upset by it, that like that it, he Aldrich was allowed to continue on his string of these assaults. And he also with the intern as well at the Blackhawks yeah. at the same time, like it's just, it's, uh, yeah, it's it's like you break one link in that chain early on and you prevent so much pain for so many more people. And they just chose not to do it because they want to win a Stanley Cup. Yeah, because there was also one at uh, Miami of Ohio. There was an issue when he was there, too. So it's just like and the only place I think that hasn't released any records is Notre Dame, um, which, you know, so shocking. A private Catholic university doesn't want to get involved in a scandal in well, the United yeah. States. Right. <laughs> but but um. You know, like I, if this thing goes further, they're going to be subpoenaed and they'll eventually have to give up those records anyway. So it'll be interesting to see if there's anything that happened on the campus of Notre Dame with him as I well. I mean, it's happened everywhere you know? else with him. It's hard to believe it stops only at Notre Dame. So, yeah. Like, it's so, just... um, is there anything else you want to add to this? What do we want to wrap it up? Um, I just hope at least it's, I hope this doesn't just go away like a lot of big scandals like this go. Like, I, I hope it stays something that's always talked about. I hope we see, I'm, that's the thing with all this is that, you know, like just because this one broke, you know, there's so many other stories yeah. that haven't come out with hockey and other sports too, that you hope eventually they find their way out. You hope, hopefully people get justice for what happened to them. But I, I'm just so shocked at this whole situation and I really feel for him and for everyone that isn't, that was involved, like all the Blackhawks people, like I am just, I have no respect for any of them anymore, players or coaches. 
No, a hundred percent. I think you're going to see that along the league too. Like guys like Duncan Keith and Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane, those guys, nobody's going to, people are going to lose so much respect for them over, you know, over the course of this, more of this stuff coming out. And you, yeah, Kyle Beach, you feel for him because somebody said, you know, well, you know, hopefully this can be, you know, you know, we can all learn from this. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's great that we should learn from this, but why should we have to learn from something through Kyle Beach's suffering? You know, like there's so much that's wrong with this. And, you know, everybody says that, that statement, would be like, yes, it's horrible, but maybe we can learn from it. Well, at what point do we have to say, you know, learning from it isn't the problem. Why don't we stop it before it gets there? You shouldn't have to learn at any age over about five that not reporting a sexual assault isn't something like you should know that that's something that's so wrong that you have to do something about it from pretty much when you're a child. Like it's just, you shouldn't have to learn to have to act on these things. Like it's just ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. When someone comes up to you and says, Hey, uh, one of our coaches did this to me, you and the person you reported that to should immediately be in a meeting with human resources, the assistant GM, the general manager, coach, and maybe the owner even bring everybody in. But Chicago chose not to do that. They chose to sweep it under the rug and win the Stanley Cup in 2010. And always great with Chicago because they hoisted a cup. Meanwhile, Kyle Beach now has to deal with a lifetime of pain, suffering, doubt, questions, everything. Because the Blackhawks didn't care about him. They only cared about hockey. And with that... We're going to take a quick break here on the Tinderbox. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit Calgary Flames hockey. Uh, we thank you guys for listening through that. I know this situation is a tough thing to talk about. Michael, I appreciate you, you, know, you coming on and chatting about it. It's just something we wanted to touch upon and not you know, delve too, too deep into it and you know, read the whole report to you guys. But um, it's something that needed to be discussed because it's something that unfortunately probably is only going to get worse before it gets better. We'll be right back on the Tinderbox. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. Welcome back to the Tinderbox. We are the podcast for Matchsticks and Gasoline, Calgary Flames website for SB Nation. Mark and Michael here today. Again, thank you guys for uh, bearing with us, not bearing with us, uh, going on that journey with Michael and I in the first half of the podcast. We're going to switch gears now and talk about the Calgary Flames, a, a little more enlightening, upbeat subject on this side mm-hmm. of it. 5-0 um, and on the road. Uh, first time they've had a five-game winning streak since 2007. First time they shut out the Penguins in Pittsburgh since 1982. Um Jacob Markstrom, two, what did he, 106 out of 107 saves in two games. And is like, who are these flames, Michael? <laughs> I don't know. I was saying that from like, I think the third game of the trip. Like, what what did you do with my real Calgary flames? Like, who are these guys? I, I was even saying, I think I said last night on Twitter, something along the lines of like, were the real flames abducted by aliens and replaced with like alien lookalikes that only watched the Tampa Bay lightning or something? Like, <laughs> it, it just, it's so bizarre to see like everything going so well as, Although everything went like so wrong last year, it just like at least so far everything is just going along so swing. Like goaltending's good, they're scoring, they're defending. It just, I- I'm shocked, frankly. Yeah, it's just watching them out there. There's this, they feel confident. Uh, the Flames, you and I, for years, bemoan the fact that they don't start hot ever. 
and all they do with Daryl Sutter is start hot. I mean, what they the last time they trailed was in Edmonton, game one of the yeah. season, seven games ago. They're uh, the top team in the Western Conference, the top team in the Pacific. Granted, seven games in, but still, they're the best last. team in the West, right? <laughs> which is which seems crazy to think anyway, especially with Vegas and Edmonton and St. Louis and everybody else that's out there. But uh, Winnipeg, but yeah, uh, just watching Jacob Markstrom last night, just everything looked easy. I mean, even that like diving save with his paddle, like just looked like it was like a ho hum, another another gigantic save of the year for Markstrom. The power play that you know the the two man advantage, the five on three that Pittsburgh had, where he stopped seven shots on that, and they were seven shots. They weren't just like you know mm-hmm. floaters from the blue line. Like he, I, he was just in his own last night. I'm almost wondering if the fact that he only started three of five games on this trip, but yet they were three of probably his best games as a flame is something that Daryl Sutter is going to consider going forward and maybe giving him a bit more rest because I thought Vladar was solid in his few games, but Markstrom, I think just reached a level these last three games that we just haven't seen really ever as good as he was at times last year. Like he was just the best player probably of this trip bar on two shutouts, one goal against in three games. Like that's ridiculous. Yeah. And Vladar, I mean, the Vladar, you know, his two games, he gave up uh, six goals, but okay, that's fine. I mean, New Jersey, they had a comfortable lead. So, you know, he misplayed the puck on one of them, which led to a goal, which is fine. But I look at more at his performance in Washington, where they win four to three on a Saturday afternoon, where the Flames don't ever play well, no matter where it is on a Saturday afternoon against a fully loaded Caps team. Uh, and they win four to three in overtime with their backup goalie in. They had a three nothing lead. They gave up three straight, but they battled and they won in overtime. To me, that's the game for Vladar that was like, yeah, he's good. He's fine. I don't, I don't have any worries about him. And these were his sixth and seventh NHL games too. Like this isn't like mm-hmm. a Chad Johnson backup where you know what you're going to get most nights. He'll be okay, but he's not going to steal you a game. This is a goalie that's still very much early in his development path. So I think. Sutter should realize, like I'm sure he has realized, that getting both of these guys going is probably going to be the best for both of them, and obviously then for the team as the season keeps going. Yeah, because because Markstrom's not going to be able to take that volume of shots four or five times a week. It's just it can't happen. Like he's needs he's going to need those days off, especially if he's going to be facing 37 plus shots a game. Like that's going to be, you know, that's going to be tough. Now, and we talk about all those shots allowed, but like how good has the Flames' defense been as well? Um, you know, Noah Hannafin goes down. He's got an upper body thing going. Nobody's really explained what it is. So we're hoping it's something, you know, just he's dinged up and needs a couple of days off. But, you know, again, I bemoan every year when they sign him, Michael Stone came in and played really well last night. Um, you know, and, and you look at uh, Shillington, he's been a revelation. Thankfully, somebody finally listened and put him in. Um, without their captain, I think everybody thought the Flames defense or was going to be, you know, a little rocky. Dare I say, Michael, are they better? They seem steadier, which I think is a huge uh, boost to the team. It just, when we were coming into the season, yeah, it felt like they were going to take a step down, but it seems like this year, at least, they're not having the swings like they had last year or in previous years. Like last, in the past few years, they've had games where they've had really good defensive showings and then just terrible defensive showings. I don't know if this is like more on Sutter, even then like, losing geo and stuff but just they seem steady in all the games like you seem to know what you're going to get most nights from the six that are in the lineup and i think that's really helping the forwards have a level of confidence in the team too that they can go and push hard to score because they know what they're going to get yeah and it's been a while too where rasmus anderson is clearly probably the flames best defender right now and you don't talk about him during games 
Like he doesn't, there's nothing he does that's overwhelming. I mean, other than when he shoots the puck, cause it's like, a, it's coming out of a cannon and it misses, but like, it's one of those like things like you don't talk about him and his defensive play. It's just so good. It's like almost just part of the game. It flows naturally. Yeah, no, for sure. Not. And then I think him with Hannafin, like I think Hannafin's looking, and unfortunately he's injured now, but he's been looking really good this year too. Like the two of them taking a step this year, I think has been a big reason why the Flames have looked a lot better. And then, yeah, like like you said, the rest of the defense score, like Shillington, thank goodness they finally put I have so much respect that they put in Shillington over Zadorov. But then also when um, Hannafin went out that they – they put stone in over Zadorov still. I just, yeah. I, it, it gives a lot of confidence for me that the coaching staff is actually watching the games like the rest of us are and not just putting in the big guys because they're big guys. And then Chris yeah, Tanev so, is still just being Chris Tanev, which is absolutely amazing. Yeah. I want to see at the end of the season, the block shot statistics because the flames are blocking shots, like just crazy. It's, it's all they seem to be doing. Tanev, He's blocking shots. Anderson's doing the same thing. Um, Stone had a couple of nice blocks last night that were huge. Um, and that Stone-Shillington pairing was really good last night, too. Shillington got his, you know, it was only his third multi-point game of his career. You know, uh, the last one coming in 2020. So, and even the bottom, like Valimaki, he's he's been okay. You know, uh, good Branson blows a tire every game and leads to an odd man rush, but it happens. Like, I don't really have a lot, you know, there's not a lot to complain about in the Flames defense, which is nice. Like, as wrong as things could have gotten on the blue line, like I think, I think we're still poised for things to come back down a bit. Like I don't think they're going to play this well all year. But as things could have gone so much worse, that I think we just got to ride this out and hopefully they can they'll, they'll probably settle back down a little bit closer to what we expected. But I think for now, you guys hope they keep riding this wave and banking points early because, like you said, we're so used to this team falling behind early in the year and playing catch up all season long just to get into that seventh or eighth spot that to see them kind of gaining ground early on these teams is so it's such a breath of fresh air. Yeah. And I joked that I, I was on Twitter and I was like, yeah, it's great. The flames swept a five game road trip, which means they'll probably lose four out of five at the dome. Cause they just play so horribly at home. <laughs> you know? That's exactly what they do. Like I'll be, sh- I, I, I said last night before the game, like they're going to do X, Y, and Z. And if they're the regular flames, they'll probably blow this game and lose the first game on the homestand. Because, <laughs> so prove me wrong that they proved me wrong last night. I'd love to see them prove us wrong again on that, but. Until they do, it's the, the Flames are always going to have that. They're just going to make us sad at some point soon vibe to them. What I like about them right now, too, is like they're playing that Sutter style of hockey where they come out early and they, they get a lead. They're flying. It's all offense. It's the passing's great. The defense is, you know, joining up in the rush and moving the puck well. There's not a lot of bad turnovers. Their zone entries are good. You know, they're making smart passes and they get the lead and then they just they play heavy hockey. You know, they're heavy on you in the corners that they're checking. Uh, they're pinning you against the boards They're They're standing you up at the blue line at the zone entry. Like they're, they're clogging the neutral zone. Like it's, I, I can't remember in the longest time, a flames team that's been able to do both play the finesse, speedy offense, and then get a lead. And with guys like Goudreau, who honestly, I don't think Goudreau has been a two-way player his entire career until this year, like where he's back, you know, he's back on defense. One of the first guys hustling there, like, the Flames as a whole seem to be able to play both styles. I mean, Goudreau's rushing back on defense. Lucic has two quasi-breakaway goals this year. You know, like, it's it's it's, it's weird, right? It's, it's chaos, but it's good chaos. So, usually we have the other kind of chaos. So, well, I, I was going to say, even with Goudreau, like, look at his goal last night against Pittsburgh, where he's back in the D zone. He chips it over the defender stick who was pinching in to get a good scoring chance. Pops it over, goes the other way and scores. Like, that's... 
that's as much two-way Gaudreau as we've seen it really at any point. It's just so impressive to see how they seem to all be flowing on both ends of the ice, all four lines, all three pairs. Yeah, and what I loved about that breakaway the most, too, was like it was an absolute snipe and it went top corner. It didn't go five hole. You know, he took advantage. And I mean, you know, he's a left shot coming down that wing with not a lot of not a lot of net there on a glove side. And he just up past to Smith and, you know, boom, there you go. Flames up on nothing. So, yeah, it's it's fun to actually, you know, have be upbeat and talk about good things. You know, eventually it will all water seeks its own level. We'll see how it goes. But I feel like this grouping that's out there now has bought into what Sutter wants them to do. And it's it's working and it's actually it's it's enjoyable. It's very enjoyable. I'm, I'm having fun watching the Flames. I'm actually like, whenever I see it's a game day, it's excitement. Now it's not just, oh, here we go again. Like, I know. I can tell it's a good part of the season when people are like, hey, I'll recap tonight. Hey, I'll recap tonight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, it's a good season when everybody wants to uh, hop on in. All right. Well, uh, that's pretty much going to wrap it up here for this episode of the Tinderbox. Uh, don't forget, Saturday, uh, October 30th, the Flyers come to town for a 8 p.m. Mountain Time start. Flames and Flyers. Um, Calgary has won, I think it's five out of their last six at home against Philly. And yeah, I was on with the Flyers people today. They think a 5-3 victory for the Flyers, but I'm like, there's no way the Flyers are putting five past Markstrom. So they haven't was... watched the Flames. <laughs> exactly. So uh, that's, that's what we got going on. Flames and Flyers on Saturday. 8 p.m. Mountain Time Start. Michael, thanks for coming on and uh, having this conversation today. Really appreciate it. No problem. If you enjoy this podcast, please look for us on iTunes, on Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Just search up The Tinderbox or Matchsticks and Gasoline and you will find us. We are on the web at www.matchsticksandandgasoline.com. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at matchsticks.cgy. Thank you all so much for listening and we will catch you next time on The Tinderbox.